first thing I want us to dig into today um, is, is kind of springboarded out of the book of Mark. And it's a theme that's all through the life of Jesus. And it's the standard that he set for us as believers. And it's the attitude and heart of servanthood that we're supposed to operate in as believers. God has called us all to be servants. God has called us all to have a servant's heart. What's the practical application of that? In that, in we serve others through our love for God. And by serving them, they are able to see the heart of God in us. And our actions point people to Jesus. If you want to see lives impacted and changed around you, you don't have to be a great preacher. You don't have to be a great teacher. You don't have to have a great, deep understanding of the Bible. You don't have to have a theological degree. You, you, just don't, you don't have to have all the self-help tips. You don't have to have all the answers to all the questions. All you have to have is a heart to serve people and meet practical needs in their lives. And if you do that, you can impact people in a way that they can relate to and point them to the Jesus that's motivating you to serve them. It's a great tool that Jesus gave us. In the book of Mark, if you got your Bibles or your electronic devices, whatever you're using, um, Mark chapter 10, we're going to start reading. This is a radical concept that Jesus dropped on the disciples and on the world when he came in because we're not wired naturally to serve people. It goes counterintuitive to how we're wired up as human beings. We're very selfish when we're left to ourselves. Um, Jesus talking to his disciples is getting to the end of his ministry in Mark chapter 10. And he's fixing to take them up to Jerusalem. And he's letting them know all the horrible stuff that's fixing to happen to them so they don't get caught off guard. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They'll hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And three days later, he'll rise. He just dropped a huge bomb on his disciples. Hey, guys, we're going to Jerusalem. Here's what's going to happen. I'm about to get tortured. They're going to put me to death. You're going to see it happen. Don't worry. And three days after that, I'm going to rise from the dead. He's just opened up his heart and told the disciples what he's fixing to go through and how he's fixing to suffer. And then look what happens right after he said that. While they're still walking on the way to Jerusalem, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You ever have your kids say this to you? <laughs> like I got a little three-year-old, Abby. She says this to me a lot here lately. She'll come up to me. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And I say, yeah, what is it, Abby? She goes, don't say no. <laughs> Can I have some goldfish? Please. Like, how do you say no to that? But she's like, don't say no. Don't say no. I'm like, daddy, don't say no. Okay. It's, usually it's at bedtime. Can I get up and play? No. And then she'll look at me. She goes, no. I said, you don't say no. Don't say no. We go through this negotiation. I'm like, if she's three and she's doing this, what's this going to be like later in life? Man, I got this hostage negotiator <laughs> trying to get goldfish and to stay up late, you know. So they, James and John come to Jesus, and they start off the conversation like this. And they're like, listen, don't say no. Okay? Don't say no. What are you supposed to do to that? Just like a couple of kids. Um, 
Give us whatever we ask. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink of the cup or be baptized by the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said, yeah, we can do that. They had no idea what they were saying. Jesus got through telling them, guys, I'm about to be tortured. I'm going to die. I'm about to go through it. And James and John are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, why, how about you let us sit by your, your right and your, your left side when you're on your throne and in your glory? He just opened up his heart, and they're lobbying for position. Like to sit on the right and the left, that's like we want to be viewed as almost co-equals in power and authority with you as you sit in your place of power. And Jesus is like, you guys don't even know what you're talking. Have you ever had a friend or someone who said they were a friend, like you, you try to tell them some stuff that you're going through, and they kind of look like they're listening, but then they're like, yeah, 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 let me tell you about what's going on in my life. Like you don't even get to finish your sentence, and they just start blasting off everything that's going on with them like they didn't even listen to what you said you were going through. You know, this is kind of what's happening here with these guys. And, and, and so it keeps going. Jesus said to them, you'll drink from the cup, and you'll be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And now it gets fun. They've been lobbying for position behind the other disciples' backs, and they hear about what's going on. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. That's a polite way of saying there was a big mess that was going on right there. They, they got upset. What are you guys talking Y'all trying to be big dogs now? They got upset. And now all these future world changers are like arguing and fighting with one another over power and position. And Jesus says, guys, this isn't going to work this way. Let me break this down to you and tell, me how, to tell you how <clears throat> my kingdom is supposed to operate. So they become indignant. They start arguing. Jesus, like a good leader, brings them together. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus drops the mic and walks off the stage. And what do you say after that? Like, you guys are so backwards. And he hits them like on two fronts. He hits them because they've got jacked up motivations in what they're doing. And he's hitting them because of their ignorance. Because they haven't put together what Jesus is all about. This world is about power. This world is about prestige. We live in a celebrity culture where it's about what you can get, what you can own, what you can possess, how you can better yourself, what you can do to climb some kind of social ladder and establish some kind of aura about yourself as you are a person who has arrived above somebody else and you've got some kind of stability and power about you. That's not what you're supposed to hang your life on if you're going to follow me. That's what Jesus said. If you want to follow me, it's not about us. It's about us humbling ourselves and serving others. If you want to follow me and follow my example, then do what I did. I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to lay my life down as a ransom for many. And that's a big motivation check. 
If we want to follow Jesus, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to capture the heart of a servant. Because you're never going to be as effective as God wants you to be, and you're never really going to understand a certain aspect of his heart without first practically becoming a servant to other people. And that flows out of your relationship with Jesus. Um, how many of y'all remember, this is, I guess it was last year, it's been, it's been several months, y'all remember hearing about that soccer team from Thailand that was caught in the cave system? And it got flooded and water came in and they got trapped and they couldn't get out. And so everybody's trying to figure out how to rescue these guys and how to get them out. And everybody was afraid that they were going to just be stuck there and die because there was really no safe way to get them out. Made global news. Like it ran 24 hours a day on the news cycle. Um, Elon Musk saw the story just like a lot of us did. And y'all know who Elon Musk is, right? Dude is loaded billions and billions and billions of dollars on this company called Space Tech, I think. And uh, Space Tech, that just sounds like they make money. Think about it, like their slogan should be Space Tech. We make a lot of money doing space stuff because we're Space Tech. You know, just, like they just make money. And so he, he saw the, the story and he thought, you know what? I got a lot of resources. I got a lot of engineers that work here. I bet we can find a practical solution to the problem. So he got involved, and he called his engineers together, and they began working on a solution to rescue these people from this cave system that everybody else was having a hard time trying to figure out how to get them out of. Elon Musk and his team tried to work on a solution for it, and they came up with the idea of developing a miniature submarine. And I brought some video footage to show you guys of what it would, was going to look like. They began uh, testing prototypes and doing tests in pools just to make sure everything was going to be watertight, but the idea was to make a small submarine that was big enough for a full-grown person to fit in and then safely be navigated through the cave system They could be brought out safe to the other side. And they were going to bring out the soccer players and the coaches one, two, three, four, five at a time through these many subs safely through the cave system. And so they dropped money and time developing and putting it all together. And so they got, they got it all together and they took it over, presented it to the government, said, hey, we got a solution. We'd like to take it down to the rescuers. And the leaders in the government said, hey, that sounds like a great idea. Take it on down there. So they took it down there and brought the sub to the, the rescue team and said, hey, we've got the solution to the problem. You can safely get these people out with this sub. And so the rescuers said, well, that's a pretty cool idea. So they started working with it, started training with it, trying to get used to the subs. And the rescuers didn't like it. Like, well, they're, they're just, we don't like it. It's different. We're not comfortable with it. we just rather try to come up with a different solution. So basically, they looked at Elon Musk and they said, thanks, but no thanks. We don't want to use it. Now, this dude had dropped all the time and all the resources into developing this solution to the problem, brought it to them on his dime and said, here you go, this is how we can save the people. And they looked at him and said, no thanks. Now, if you're a billionaire and somebody snubs you like that, what do you do? What do you do? Somebody said, buy them. Buy all your companies, you're all fired, you know. Some people would probably do that. Let's pray Pastor Jeremy never becomes a billionaire. He's going to hostily take over the world. 
But here's what Elon Musk did. Elon Musk said, okay, don't want to use it, you don't want to use it. But he didn't leave. The dude stayed. And he started serving food to the rescuers. He started picking up trash. He started finding ways to help the rescue effort any way that he could. It didn't matter if it was in the spotlight or not. It didn't matter how menial the task was. He got involved and started doing what he could do to be part of the solution of rescuing the people. And all the news reporters were there, and they caught wind of what was happening. And one of them came up to him and said, hey, dude. I, of course, I'm kind of paraphrasing. I don't know if he said dude or not. I don't know if you talk to a billionaire and say dude. Maybe you do if it's Pastor Jeremy. So you say, hey, dude. I heard they, they, they didn't want to use your idea. How does that make you feel? And this is what Elon Musk said. He said, doesn't matter. What matters is that those people are rescued. And I'm here to do whatever I can do to make sure that that happens. I just want to do my part. Wow. Now, I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but that sure sounds like how a Christian is supposed to serve somebody else. And the attitude that we're supposed to have. He said, I don't care if they, did, if they use my idea or not. I just want to be part of the solution however I can. I'm here to do my part. I'm here to serve and do whatever you need me to do. Hey, can you imagine what the world would look like if the church could just apply this one principle from the Bible. We're here to do whatever we can do to accomplish the goal. We're here to do whatever we can do to see that the mission is accomplished. We're here to serve. It doesn't matter if we're cleaning toilets, vacuuming floors, picking up chairs, preaching or teaching. It doesn't matter what we do. We'll do whatever we can do to see the mission accomplished, to see lives changed, to see families healed, to see people impacted by the love of God. I can't wait until all of us as a church capture the heart of a servant and say, I will do whatever it takes. It doesn't matter what it is. I'll do my part. Because what's important is not that I get acknowledged for what I do. What's important is that the mission gets accomplished. Amen. That's the heart of a servant. And I think if a dude who may or might not be a Christian can display that kind of maturity, maybe we could too. It's not about us. It's about what we can do to see others impacted and changed by the gospel of Jesus. Galatians 5 reads like this. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. It's not about you. Don't use your freedom on yourself. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is what motivates us to serve others. You guys ever been to Chick-fil-A? I love Chick-fil-A. I got to confess, I love Chick-fil-A. I don't know if they put something in their food to get you addicted to it or what, but I love Chick-fil-A. Maybe it's because it's Christian chicken. Everybody loves Christian chicken, which kind of stinks because they're closed on Sunday. <laughs> they can make a killing. You sell Christian chicken on Sunday. But it's crazy, even though they're closed on Sunday on a principle of religious belief because they want to honor God and honor the Sabbath, they still make as much and sometimes more than the big industry fast food restaurant chains that are open seven days a week. God honors you when you put him first. I love Chick-fil-A, though. I love 
the sandwiches. I love the chicken nuggets. I love the Chick-fil-A sauce. Y'all had Chick-fil-A sauce? Dude, that stuff is magical. I don't know what's in it. It's just good. I love Chick-fil-A. There's a couple of reasons why I like Chick-fil-A, though. One is that they're not paying me, though I wish they were. Maybe we can send this recording to Chick-fil-A corporate. Maybe we'll get sponsored by Chick-fil-A. We'll talk real good about them. There's a couple of things I like about them. One, uh, consistency. I mean, if you go to 100 Chick-fil-A stores, you know that if it's got that sign over the building, you're going to get consistency in the quality of food that you're going to get. 99 times out of that 100. I say 99 because nobody's perfect. Maybe they mess up every once in a while. You know, Chick-fil-A, I'm sorry. We know you're not perfect. But you're so close, Chick-fil-A. Love you, Chick-fil-A. Consistency and quality in the food. I had a special moment there with Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, if by chance someone does send this to you, we like you here at Life Point Church. Fixing to be Eastgate Church. And we could sure use a couple of million dollars to help reach this community and tell people how much we love Chick-fil-A and how much we love Jesus. Not necessarily in that order, but do what you feel like I want you to do, Chick-fil-A. All right, Larry, we got to get that out. That was, that was a good moment. All right, so I like it because consistency in the food. And the other thing I like about Chick-fil-A is customer service is on another level there. It's on another level. I don't even know if you can consider Chick-fil-A fast food. Because it's like a five-star restaurant with a drive-thru on it as far as your customer service goes. You know, you get chicken products. Um, but you walk up there and you say, I, can, I get a, can I get another one chicken sandwich combo? And they'll be like, that's my pleasure. <laughs> I like the way that sounds. Let me ask for something else. Can I have a... Something, something to drink. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's no problem. Can I get this? Can I? Get, my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> Sometimes I just want to look at them and say, you know what? Forget all that and let's, let me get a cup of water just to see if they'll go, my pleasure. <laughs> Probably just do that. You know, I haven't done it yet, but this evil side of me wants to do it. Yeah. <laughs> my pleasure. And then you walk, you drive through or you walk away from the counter and you get your food and they say, have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. Sometimes I just, if I'm having a bad day, I just want to go to Chick-fil-A so somebody talks nice to me. <laughs> you know, I can't get it anywhere else. Chick-fil-A, you're always there. Sometimes Sundays, that's when I'm depressed the most because you're not there to cheer me up. <laughs> Chick-fil-A, they just knock, they knocked it out of the park, man. No other fast food chain has got customer service like Chick-fil-A. That's why for most people, there's like everybody else and then there's Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A can have a drive through line that's going around the building, out into the parking lot, to the adjacent road, and down the street, and I don't hesitate for a second to get in line because I know something magical is going to happen when I get in line. <laughs> I'm going to get in line, and then a couple of minutes later, I'm going to be at the window, and they're going to say, have a blessed day. And I don't know how they do it. It defies all logic and, and, and the physics of time. It defies all of it, but they're able to push people through because they got an awesome system down. Not everybody <coughs> has that, because Chick-fil-A has banked on consistency in product, and they have banked on customer service. And they're known for that, and because they banked on it, it set them apart from everybody else. It set them apart from everybody else. And what Jesus is saying here to his disciples, and what we just read in, in Galatians is this, is that what we do when we serve people and we show love to them is what we're doing is we're representing the brand of his kingdom. 
And just like Chick-fil-A is known for those things, the kingdom of God is supposed to be known for certain things. And Jesus said, these guys around you are going to know that you're my disciples because of your love for one another. And because of how you love them and how you serve them. That's what we're going to bank on. That's what's going to separate us from everyone else. That's how they're going to know that you're serving me. Because of the love that you show them that they're not going to get anywhere else. Because of the, the servant's heart that you're going to display to them that they're not going to see anywhere else in this world because this world is focused on itself. So we're going to separate ourselves from them and we're going to create a brand of love and of servant's hearts and we are going to reach them in a way that they're not going to be used to being reached. And out of your love for me, you're going to show love to them and it's going to point them back to me. And that's how we're going to impact the world and change people's lives through love and through a servant's heart. Powerful tools, powerful tools that a lot of people don't ever really put to work in their walk with God. And we're missing out on a lot of opportunities by doing something so, it's so simple. To see God change people's lives. The definition of servanthood is this. Servanthood, this is my working definition anyway. The willingness to humble ourselves and act for the benefit of others out of love. So that God can be glorified and people led to Jesus. That's it. The willingness to humble ourselves and act for the benefit of others out of love. That's the how and that's the what. We humble ourselves and we act for the benefit of others out of love. And the why that we do it is so that people can be led to Jesus. That's the why. That sounds like a brilliant strategy. Maybe that's how God got to be God because he's smart. We'll love people, we'll serve people, and it'll point people back to me so I can change their lives. Here's the thing about servanthood, though. And this is where people get into trouble. Is that servanthood and selfishness, they cannot coexist. They can't coexist. One will always, always eliminate the other. You can't serve yourself and serve others. You can't serve yourself and serve God. It can't be all about you and all about what God has called you to do. One of the two have to die. They can't coexist. You can't have it both ways. And this is why Jesus, I, I believe this is why Jesus set it up this way. This is kind of a filter test for us to gauge our walk with God. I've called you to be a servant. And not only is that going to help us reach people through practically showing love to them in tangible ways that they can relate to. But I've called you to serve people because it's going to put a check on your selfishness. And if you're practically serving people, it's going to keep that self-will and that selfishness that wants to raise up inside of you, and it's going to keep it over here to the side, down where it needs to be. If you follow what I've called you to do, it'll set yourself up for success in your walk with me. So not only is it a tool to reach people, it's a tool to help ourselves spiritually. You want to take that next step in your walk with God? Servanthood is a great way to do it. Because by serving others, you put to death your selfishness. And when selfishness is out of the way, you can clearly, clearly hear the voice of God and know the heart of God. Because all that junk that distracts you and keeps your world right here, 
is now out of the way so you can finally clearly see some of us for the first time when we get ourselves out of our way. That, that's why when I, uh, when I counsel married people, if people are having a, a bump in the road in their marriage, listen, which happens sometimes, which happens sometimes, you know. You can have a great, near-perfect marriage, and then sometimes, for some people, um, you hit a bump in the road, and it causes some friction in the relationship, and it's okay if you go through one of those seasons to come to your pastor and get counsel. A lot of people run and hide, and they try to fix issues on their own, and that's fine. Fix it on your own, but if you're at a place where you need guidance and you need counsel, go to your pastor, go to your staff, go to a professional counselor, whatever you need to do to fix the marriage and keep it moving forward. Amen? So anyway, when I meet with people and, and talk to them about issues with their marriage, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you ever come and talk to me, I'll tell you. First, um, you're always going to get biblically correct advice from me. You're never going to get my opinion, ever. Who cares what I think? Okay? Who cares what I think? I care about what God thinks, though, and what God says, because that's what matters the most, and that's what's going to work. You know, Josh's ideas aren't always going to work. God's ideas always work. And so what I do when I sit down and I, and I counsel people, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to the issues, I'm going to listen to the problems, and I'm going to give some biblical counsel and advice, but I know that what I'm hearing are just symptoms. Well, he doesn't listen. He doesn't clean up. Well, she doesn't give me enough attention. You know, we haven't been together as a married couple and too long, you know, we, we need to fix this. There's issues and issues. Those are symptoms. The core of it is always selfishness. Every time. Self-will. Either in the man or the woman or in both, friction in the marriage always comes from selfishness. Symptoms are different, but the cause is always the same. So what I'll do after, in that first session to expose it I will always do this. 99 times out of 100, almost always I'll do this. I will say, this is what we're going to do. I'll look at her and I'll say, what are three things, two or three things that he could do to serve you that will communicate to you that he loves you? Write them down. She'll write down the two or three things and I'll look at him. What are two or three things that she could do to serve you and communicate to you that she loves you? I'll always get my two or three things. And then I'll say this, for the next couple of weeks, here's what we're going to do. All right? We're going to focus on our relationship with God, get closer to him, because that's solution. That's the solution to all of it, get closer to him. But over the next few weeks, you are going to serve her, and you are going to serve him. And your whole life is going to be to put a smile on her face, and your whole life is going to be to put a smile on his face, to die to yourself and serve one another. And we're going to come back in a couple of weeks, two or three weeks, and we're going to gauge the progress and see what's happened. And one of two things are going to happen every time. They're either going to set aside selfishness, serve each other, and see how awesome it is when self is out of the way and the issue is going to be fixed, or I'm going to come into one of the ugliest messes. Well, I did this and he didn't do that, or I did this and she didn't do that, and I tried this, and it's always about what the other person doesn't do. You know, but it's always, it's, and I do it to expose the selfishness. Why can't you serve them? Well, because they didn't do it. What does that have anything to do with you serving them? You serving them has nothing to do with, they, with what they do for you. It's about you giving yourself to them. It exposes it, and it helps us deal with it pretty quickly. It's all about 
dying to self. Because selfishness and servanthood, they cannot coexist. Selfishness and servanthood, when you stack them up next to each other, they've got some different characteristics. Um, selfishness, it's all about what people give. Servanthood, it's all about what Jesus gave. Two motivating factors. They're always keeping track of what they give, but a servant, they do what they do because of what Jesus did for them. We serve because Christ first served us. Selfishness always keeps score. A servant's heart will make sacrifices every time. Every time. It's not about keeping score. It's about what I can give, not to you, not to you. I mean, I'm giving things to you, but that's not my motivation. I'm giving to you because of what God has already done in me and the example that he set for me to follow. Selfish people are always time-sensitive. People with a servant heart are need-sensitive. Selfish people are always talking about how they don't have the time to do X, Y, or Z, and it's the ultimate excuse, and it's the ultimate bumper. And if I was at a pastor's conference, and I said, how many times have you heard people say that they don't have time to do what you're asking them to do? The pastors would pass out and fall on the floor. Because that's one of the biggest things that they run into. I praise God we don't have that widespread problem at our church. We've got a lot of people that have great servants' hearts here. But people are always going to talk about how they don't have time. Here's what I know that a lot of people don't realize, though. Did you know that time is just time? We've all got the same amount of time. There's nothing special about time. It's constant. It's going to keep flowing. It's going to keep moving. Time is just time. It just goes. We've all got the same amount of time. Where we differ is that we all have different priorities, and we all deem other things important, and we insert those things into our time, and they monopolize it. It's not that you don't have enough time. It's that you've got things in priority that don't allow you to do this thing so don't tell me you don't have time and don't tell other people you don't have time what you're really saying is that's just really not important enough for me to change what I've already got going on that's what you're saying it's not about time sorry I stole some of y'all's defensive strategy right there I messed you up I messed up your game a little bit but that's what you're saying what I love about a servant's heart and I saw this I saw this in, in one guy who um who's been coming up to volunteer with the, the building that we're renovating, you know, for our new facility. This guy is the big, one of the greatest displays of a servant's heart right now because he's at a place where his business is absolutely exploding. The guy has got more work than he can get to, and he, he's just running constantly, you know, 12, 14, 16, sometimes 18 hours a day, keeping up with stuff in, in the business and other things that he has going on. But even with all of that going on, I'm watching this guy still take time to be at the facility to do the work that he committed to do and just to be there to help us accomplish the goal because it's not about what he's got going on it's about how important he sees the new facility in the building and how important it is to him and he's willing to make the sacrifices and be there to do what's necessary even though the dude is absolutely slammed see it's not about what we've got going on it's about what we consider to be important I praise God for a guy that's got a heart like that who will show up sleep-deprived, tired and sore. And did not just him. We've got a lot of people that are doing that and displaying powerful servants' hearts. For people that are selfish, it's always about convenience. Selfishness is never going to step outside of a comfort zone, ever. 
When it becomes inconvenient, a selfish heart is never going to do it. But a servant's about commitment. Selfishness looks for a photo op. This is me doing this. This is me doing this. Oh, look, I'm helping for the good. It's always photo op to promote yourself. But a servant's heart just doesn't care who gets the credit. It's about accomplishing the goal. It's about pointing people to Jesus every time. I had a guy who said to me one time, and it, it impacted my life. It's not an original quote with the person that said it to me, but it's a powerful quote. He, he said, if you're too big for the small things, you're too small for the big things. You think you're too big for the small things, you're too small for the big things. And this would be so with Jesus' philosophy, you know. If you want to be first, you've got to make yourself last. If you want to be faithful over much, you've got to be, or ruler over much, you've got to be faithful over a few things. You've got to prove yourself, you know. Because it's not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about how we can serve our Lord and Savior and practically show his love to other people so their lives can be impacted and changed as we lead them to him by displaying that love. Matthew 5, 16 reads like this. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine before others. You probably, if you've been in church most of your life, you learned that in Sunday school. You learned that in children's church. You let your light shine to other people. So that they can see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you know it doesn't matter at all whether or not you believe in God? Doesn't matter at all. The Bible even says that the demons in hell believe in God and tremble with fear. Believing in God never got you closer to God. Believing in God doesn't get you into heaven. A simple belief in God doesn't accomplish anything. And churches are full of people that think they're safe and they feel very comfortable in the fact that they just believe in God. That's not enough. It's not just about what we believe. If we want a real relationship with Him, if we want a passionate relationship with Him, if we want an effective relationship with Him, it has to grow past belief into a relationship that results in change and produces fruit into action. Because people will see your good deeds, what you do. See, the Bible says that faith without works is dead. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how much money you give necessarily. That does help reach people with the gospel of Jesus. But it's about what we do personally to show that light. And I praise God that we have a lot of beautiful people in this church. And we've got a lot of ugly people in this church that... Got to fix that or somebody's going to get offended. Uh, a lot of people that display a beautiful servant's heart. Every week, every week, people serve in this church. Every week, a, a wonderful group of people come up here. And they faithfully vacuum floors. They clean windows and mirrors. And they clean the bathrooms the offices because they have a heart to serve so that when we arrive on Sunday morning we have a clean facility to worship God in we don't have that without people who have a heart to serve we have music on Sunday mornings to worship God too because we have a worship band 
have servants' hearts, to put in the time to practice so they can get up here and halfway show that they know what they're doing. Now, they do a great job. Oh, we got a great worship team. But they put in the work so that they can worship God and honor Him with excellence and lead us into the throne room. There's words and pictures on the screen behind me right now because of a media team that's back there that works hard so that we can communicate the gospel in creative ways. They get the lighting right. They do their best to get the lighting and the music and all this stuff right so we can have a great environment, sound where it needs to be. This is an incredibly difficult room to set sound in, and they do a great job getting this quality sound in here for the room that they got to work with. They worked hard. They edit videos. They put together artwork. They're always fixing IT problems in the facility. We have a, an amazing children's ministry that's happening right now because we have volunteers with a servant's heart to see our young kids' lives molded and shaped to lay a beautiful foundation for a relationship with God. Nursery workers who are spending time with our little ones. I could go on and on and on. Youth leaders who are pouring into the next generation and helping steer students to make right decisions and lead them towards a productive relationship with God. All because of None of that happens without a servant's heart. It's not about what we believe. It's about what we do. Every week I see beautiful people show up to, and ugly people <laughs> show up to serve at, at the facility. And I watch people haul sheetrock and bring in stuff, put paint on walls, and they're climbing ladders and doing this and doing that and picking up trash behind the people that are building stuff. And we've been putting up stages, and I've watched so many people give so much time over there because it's about the goal. People understand the vision. They have a heart to see it happen. They have a heart to do what they can, whether it's an hour here or an hour there or a half a day here. And then I see a small group of people, mostly retired, that are up there almost every day. Every day, man. Working right beside me. A group of people. We get in there and we work long days. Sometimes we're in there you know, for 10 or 20. You wouldn't think it would take that long to get a building ready. It's a lot of work that goes involved, that's involved in it. And I know they go home tired, and I know they go home sore. I know that because I do, and if I do, they got to, right? You know, so they, they go home, and then they show back up the next day. It's a beautiful servant's heart. I mean, that is how you practically impact lives and change the world. Not just in what happens in service here in a church or for getting the facility ready or how we serve through events to help the community throughout the year, but it's when we get that in our hearts individually and we see that it doesn't have to happen through a ministry of the church that's when the fun starts to happen when we learn that we can serve others practically at work in our families anywhere in the community on our own that's when the fun starts to happen there's a guy called me a few months ago I say a few months. For me, a few months could be any, like, two months ago or a year and a half ago, somewhere in there. A few months ago, uh, this guy called me, and he's like, Hey, Pastor Josh, you're not going to believe this, but I found uh, something that might be a cool project for the church to help somebody. And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? He said, well, I was out driving, and I saw this guy just walking around the neighborhood, and 
And I thought, well, maybe it might be cool. And I think he actually got out and started walking with this guy at one point, got to know him a little bit better. This random guy walking that God kind of put on his heart. Through conversation, he finds out that this guy that's walking through this neighborhood, just walking for exercise, is a former vet, served our country, got some health issues, and he's blind. Blind man out walking on the road, busy streets, because he's walked them so many times, he's just memorized the things. He's just out walking for exercise. And more conversation, the guy finds out that, you know, when it's real cold in the winter, when it's raining, that uh, this guy, um, you know, he can't walk outside, obviously. So he's got a treadmill that he likes to use in his house when the weather's bad, just so he can keep moving so his joints don't lock up because of the other health issues that he has. And found out his treadmill was all like beat up and run down and kind of jacked up, not really working. And God said, I thought it would just be awesome if we found a way as a church to bless this guy with a new treadmill. It'd be a great way to serve him. And I thought, that is awesome. That's awesome. Okay, get the information. Let's try to find a good deal. Let's, let's make that happen. Let's see what we can do to make it happen. So started to work on it. A few days went by. A couple of weeks went by, I think. A guy called me, or I, I think he called me, or we were texting. Anyway, he communicated to me. He said, hey, don't worry about it. We already got it taken care of. We raised the money for the new treadmill. We've already got it purchased, and uh, we got it to the guy, and he's using it. We had some people just serve and take it over and, and drop it in the guy's house, and I thought, oh, my goodness. You, that right there, that right there. Didn't even wait for the church to do something. That right there, that heart, right that that display of love and seeing a need, and that that servant's heart to practically meet needed somebody. Like that right there, if the church got that, we would impact our community only like you read about in the Book of Acts. So as we talk about shifting and moving into a, a new level of ministry in our church and a new level. Of, of closeness in our relationship with God, there's a lot of practical things that Jesus has already given us in Scripture to do. One of the most practical, one of the most easy things, one of the, the easiest next steps to take in your walk with God is to begin to look for opportunities to serve other people. Draw close to God and look for opportunities to serve other people. Because in serving them out of love for Him, we meet needs in a practical way. And we point people back to the Savior that has already changed our lives in such a powerful way. Servanthood. Servanthood. How about this week? We all find some way to serve somebody in a practical way just to show the love of God to them. Whether they do anything back to us or not, whether they deserve it or not, doesn't matter. We're called to love and we're called to serve. And that's one of the most powerful tools we have to reach people with the gospel of Jesus. Stand with me this morning as we get ready to close in prayer. Servanthood is a great way to show God's love to people. But you can only truly serve in a way that reflects the heart of God if you have a relationship with God.
got to first know him before you can make him known. Because you can't give people something that you don't have for yourself. The good news is we can fix that right now. Bow your heads and close your eyes.